What a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of amrays and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of Blockbuster Video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom-and-pop video store killer, the corporate big-choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars, who are in the know, arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Hey, everybody, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of the Talkbuster podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. And before I get into my wow, incredible special guests, actually special guests today, um, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. You are Aaron Moriarty, Andrew Krause, Seth Comfort, collaborating online, Seth Decker, Shar Hudson Gusted, Robert V. Aldrich, Mike the Gatherer, Kevin C. V., Alex Peregrine, Alex Shaw, Geeks with Shields, Green Goblin, Patricia Chipman, Brendan Agnew, and Christopher Finnick. And I'd also like to thank my newest patron, Jeremy Soltis, who is one of the very, very first people I ever met working at Blockbuster Video um, in the before time, in the long, long ago, as I put it. Um, this week's episode was brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, host Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the dark darkest timeline talking everything from comics to long forgotten movies and tv shows if the darkest timeline has you down check out the geeks with shields podcast for all your nerdy needs and with that um i'm gonna have to start a new segment on this show and just call it six degrees of shamim um because my good friend shamim um dana who you've heard on this show uh twice now um is just getting me some incredible connections, and today's is no different. Um, C. Andrew Nelson, introduce yourself. Greetings from the dark side. Hi, I'm C. Andrew Nelson, actor, visual effects artist, animator, voiceover performer, and genuine Dark Lord of the Sith. Um, <laughs> I was going to a, a fun way, a fun way to, to to start that introduction is you are the only actor to officially in canon portray Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. That is true. Uh, uh, as an actor, I spent 12 years playing Darth Vader for Lucasfilm. Um, I played Vader on film, for television, for commercials, print ads, magazine covers, toy packaging, and even on a postage stamp as Darth Vader. Um, 
But I'm also a visual effects artist and animator. I spent six years at LucasArts designing and creating games there. And then I transferred over to Industrial Light and Magic and worked on the effects for the Star Wars prequels and Galaxy Quest and Jurassic Park 3 and Perfect Storm and a whole bunch of other movies. Um, but uh, I was also the voice of Luke Skywalker. Uh, I, I did vo voices for Luke. Uh, did vo a voice for Luke uh, probably, I don't know how many times, for uh, LucasArts games. So, uh, yes, I am my own father or my own son. <laughs> but yeah. not your own grandpa. unless Not you're... my own grandpa, no. Um, so, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so before getting into that, I'd like to, to thank Shamim. Shamim is here with us today. Um, Shamim, you've you've known um, Sandra Nelson for twelve years, right? Twelve years. Yep, twelve years since um, uh, our friend Steve Wyatt's. Um, I think it was fourth annual SuperCon. I believe right, yeah. Sandra Nelson. It was called SuperCon then, and then he changed the name to Big Wow Comic Fest. But yeah, that was twelve <laughs> years ago. Jeez. So, so the yeah, so that at the same show, he and um, Peter Mayhew did a really interesting panel. I, I remember that panel. That was yeah, that was fun. Peter was talking about um, the chessboard, and I believe you guys were talking about. I think it was what. what what else that day, Andrew, about... Oh, my gosh. We, we, we were asked all kinds of questions, talking about all kinds of things, what it's like being inside those costumes and, and all sorts of stuff. I, I, I miss Peter terribly. He was a very dear friend. And, I yeah. was going to say, rest in peace. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, what, a, what a wonderful yeah. guy. But yeah, we yeah. both met you then. <laughs> and, uh, and, and also another friend of, uh, of yours uh, was there sitting right next to us at that same show, Jane Weedlin of the Go-Go's. Yeah. Jane too, yeah, and I, I believe Angie was with Peter that day too. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. Yeah. 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 Angie still remembers me to this day. That's interesting. I saw her mm -hmm. um, at uh, EmpireCon in L.A. Mm -hmm. she, she, I, I actually went to the public um, memorial for Peter actually um, at EmpireCon. Oh. Yeah. It, it was very, very good. Um, they had Angie, Ryan, um, Al Albin, Albin Johnson, um, uh, bunch like uh, uh, Chase Masterson. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like all of Peter's um, colleagues talk about. And then it started like with his um, clip from Force Awakens to the fans, and ending it off with "In My Life." I I don't know if that is a symbolized. Um, song from the Beatles in my life for ending of Peter's life or first circle because I think either it was Peter's favorite song or just one that says a lot for that oh, one. It was definitely appropriate. Yes. Yes. How long you know Peter, Andrew? A long time? I knew Peter, I knew T Peter uh, you know, 25 years. Uh, wow. So, but... Uh, we actually met. Yeah, we actually met at the uh, at the Oprah Winfrey show in in in, uh, in Chicago. Uh, I believe wow. Nineteen ninety twenty five years. That is nineteen nine. Ninety seven was when we actually met. Um, so was it after the special edition VHS came out or before? It was. Be, it was actually before the. It was it, just before the the special edition came out in the theaters. So, right. Okay. That was the like, summer of the we, special we were actually, editions. We were wow. in Chicago to promote 
the special edition, and and so uh, yeah, we were so doing a special thing on on Oprah's show, and Oprah was interviewing Peter. She also interviewed uh, um, uh, Mark Hamill, and uh, Anthony Daniels was there too, and uh, Billy Dee Williams was being interviewed in in a pre-recorded segment, and George Lucas was uh, interviewed via satellite. But yeah, uh, we so had the that's the way he prefers. Yes. Yeah, so that was uh, January of. 1997, I believe, because that's when New Hope came out, right? No, it was February. We we shot oh, it in February, February. and it was so, and yep. it came out in March. Uh, well, yep. I mean that the Oprah show was shot in February, and the special edition came out in March. So yeah, so that's Empire special edition. Yes. I know because it's the coldest place I've ever been in my life was February in Chicago. So, <laughs> oh God, yeah, you can't escape it. Yes. Yeah, and. That, then- and that in first... a, that in and of itself is a was a, is a is a long interesting story, but uh, but yeah that was when uh, Shamim and I met was at, you know twelve years ago at that convention uh, with Peter in and, a big and... blue tent. Yes. Wow. So I was going to say you know um, you, you've already mentioned a, a lot of things that ingrain themselves into you know popular culture that you've done which are amazing and I I can't wait to talk on some of them but you know the 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 show has a, a bent of being about the video rental industry and that that time period yes. is is gone right it is um, it's, it's bizarre to think that it's that it's gone now it's completely it, it's it's you know it's it's fossil fuel now it's 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 gone <laughs> right but you know you, you you found your way into it through almost every aspect of what you're doing right whether it was intentional or not you know um yeah as a guy working at a blockbuster or you know everything you named are things that i you, you know rented worked on promoted sure. um so you had said you know you uh you you remember having a blockbuster card but then you said you went across the bay what was the what was that other store i'd like to hear more of them about well that. uh the uh, uh you know my, my when my wife and i lived in san francisco and i was working at uh, at lucas arts <laughs> and uh, and industrial light and magic after that we uh, we had a Blockbuster account, and we rented a few times from Blockbuster. And it was interesting to walk into Blockbuster and see projects that you worked on sitting there on the, on the shelves, you know, right. for rental. You know, you know, you know, uh, you know, Episode One and Galaxy Quest and and things like that sitting on 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 the shelves there, um, and you know, people standing around you, you know, and you know, they have no idea I worked on this, so, and I'm not going to tell them. So, but. Uh, because that's 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 you know that's ridiculous. Hey, you want to rent this? I worked on that. You know, hey, <laughs> look at you crazy. Uh, this is this is the C. Andrew Nelson section. Uh, yes. Don't worry about anywhere else. Oh, who am and I? I'm C. Andrew Nelson. <laughs> I am the curator of this section. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but then then we moved uh, uh, in 2001. We moved uh, across the bay over to the East Bay, and uh, we found a a independent. Uh, uh, store i think there were only maybe one or two of them over here it was called the uh, silver screen video awesome and, and uh we we chose them because they had a more eclectic mix of stuff you know not necessarily like art house stuff but just quirkier things that my, my wife and i were more interested in uh and so we let go of the blockbuster uh, account at that point although there were two blockbuster stores that were within like you know 10 minutes of our house so we, but we just never went. I do remember, I think, the last thing that we rented from Blockbuster was, I believe, we rented the Santa Claus and wow. uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. 
Those are the last two well, things I can remember. That, that's a double Frenchy. feature. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Sadly, I didn't like either of them. <laughs> that's fair. I should I, I should go back and, and give them another chance. I mean, especially the Santa Claus, because I do like Santa Claus. Oh, yes. I feel like Santa Claus would hold up better. Ace Ventura Pet Detective does not hold up. It is no. uh it is a mean spirited little movie. Again, it seems very much a product of its time and, and just doesn't have, you know, the, the shelf life, excuse the right. expression. <laughs> as a, you know, as it's a, true. It's one of those things where it's, it's a showcase of the talent of Jim Carrey for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the whoever it, it, that product of Hollywood writing of, oh, you know what would be funny? <laughs> you know what's yeah. really funny? Making fun of people who are transgendered. Let's do that. Yeah. No, no, Hollywood. Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and, and it's like, uh, you know, love Jim Carrey, and you know, you look at, at you know some of his other stuff that that does you know last forever. Liar, liar, you know, is, is, oh, is, yeah. is a pro, uh, film that lasts forever, and and uh, uh, you know he's got so many that, that are so good, but that one, <laughs> yeah, very definitely doesn't age well. <laughs> did you know? Did you know? Speaking of liar, liar, a funny little um, uh, trivia bit about that in the end scene mm-hmm. when um, Jim Carrey is getting taken away on the, into the ambulance. Right. You know, after, you know, he tries to stop the airplane from taking off. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a whole crowd of people and policemen and stuff. And Jim Carrey walks by in the background as fire marshal bill from in living color. I never even caught that. See now, it's, now I want to see it again. So <laughs> if, you, if you go to YouTube and search that people have been okay. zooming in on it now. Cause it's like, it's one of those things. I'm like, I remember seeing that and I had to go and look it up. Yeah. Um, I always think that's that's a fun little one. Uh, so yeah, you, you know, you, it's funny you hear you know after we went across the bridge to the East Bay and it's like it's starting to sound like a rancid song, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, so you know what um what got you into this? You know, this is Renting not the videos? same thing. You know, well, I think we all enjoy entertainment. No, <laughs> oh, no that's good. You're, you're funny. No, but I was going to say, what, what brings you, you know, the guy growing up in San Francisco, you know, obviously, you know, the, the LucasArts, Lucasfilm, ILM thing, all is Italian. But what was like the, what was the stepping off point? Well, um, I think ever since I was a child, I always wanted to be just a performer. I just enjoyed performing, not for not for any narcissistic reasons, but just because I I, I liked seeing people entertained. I liked seeing people, you know, laugh and enjoy themselves and and everything. So um, I started acting when I was ten years old. Uh, started off in theater, and uh, my mother had uh, had gone back to college and she was going to study accounting. And uh, she, she uh, met up with some drama students, switched her major, became a, a, you know, a drama student there in college, and they were doing a play, and they needed someone to play her 10-year-old son. And I happened to be her 10-year-old son. And you know, they made me audition for the part. I should have been insulted. <laughs> but uh, I got cast in the role, and I was hooked. Yeah, it, it just... You know the the acting bug bit me, and I and I, uh, I I was fascinated by it. So I just kept doing theater, and then eventually moved into you know film and television and voiceover and games and all of that. But I was also always interested in animation and and visual effects and special effects and makeup and all, every, every aspect of it, filmmaking, all of that sort of thing. Uh, my fa- my grandfather had a uh, a Super 8 film camera back in the day. 
and this was a no frills camera. Its biggest feature was it had a zoom lens. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> that's really that, the only feature it had. Uh, that's an I, extra fifty clams right there. I don't know yeah, exactly, but uh, <laughs> I used it to teach myself how to how to animate, and I started off doing uh, sort of cutout animation, very similar to like. Uh, or at least I tried to emulate uh, the stuff that Terry Gilliam did on Monty Python's Flying Circus. Ah, uh, wonderful. That, that sort of thing. And uh, But then I started doing uh, clay animation because I became just absolutely enraptured by Ray Harryhausen and all his, his work. So I wanted to be the next Ray Harryhausen. I, 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 he, was, he was my idol and just a... a, and just, you know, a, a great inspiration for me. So I was always... I was constantly animating to the point where it's well, like, you know... My folks would tell me to to clean up the kitchen, so I'd set up the camera and I'd have the I'd animate the kitchen cleaning itself up. You you are describing me like age ten to fourteen. Mm -hmm. um, I did the same thing. My my brother, uh, we had an old Super Eight camera that I tried to do this stuff on, but then my brother ended up with a VHSC because he was like the videographer at school, like uh -huh. guy, and that did quarter frame timestamps. Ah. So I was like, oh, I can do I can do four frame a second animations. Mm -hmm. So I started animating my Legos, and that was my favorite thing was to try to make the appliances and things in the house and animate objects move. Um, and it's the Ray Harryhausen thing, right? I, I think Absolutely. you can you can you can separate people by twenty thirty years, and Harryhausen is always this jumping off point for people's love of animation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I gotta ask, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, no, I was gonna say when you got into the world of special effects. Were people still doing, because I mean, obviously there's still stop motion films, right? People mm -hmm. still do it. Sure. They're finding more innovative ways to do it. And I'm the only person that goes and sees them in the theater, it would seem. <laughs> uh, but uh, but because uh, I know, because I'll go on opening night to a Leica movie and go, this is sad. Where, where's everybody? <laughs> um, but uh, were they using it when you started in visual effects in films? It was still being used, yeah, uh, here and there. But uh but I, I started off doing effects in 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 games. Uh, cool. First, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure the order. Film. Yeah. But uh, the, the I'll tell you the the other you know big inspiration obviously for me wanting to to you know become a visual effects artist was Star Wars. I can remember yeah. uh, I was I saw the original Star Wars when I was uh, just shy of my fifteenth birthday. I was like sixteen six days away from my fifteenth birthday. Uh, so it was the summer of it was you know June of uh, of nineteen seventy seven. And uh, in San Francisco at the Coronet Theater on Geary Street, which sadly is gone now. Tore, <sighs> um, saw so many wonderful films there. But I remember, you know, standing in line for just ages and ages. And, we, and, and my friends and I, we really didn't know what the film was. We had seen the trailer and that was about it. And, but we're hearing all the buzz about it because it's been out for a couple of weeks. And the, the line was just blocks long. Just all these blocks down the street. That was just to get a ticket. Then you had to stand in an equally long line stretching the other direction from the theater to, to get into the theater itself. And I, I don't know how it happened, you know, a divine intervention, but I managed to, to get what I believe was the absolute best seat in the theater. And that Ooh. opening scene where the rebel blockade runner flies over your head followed by that massive Star Destroyer, I looked up at the screen and I thought to myself, I want to do that for a living. But the problem yeah. is... There was a problem because there was nowhere to go to learn how to do that for a living because the guys that were doing that for a living were making that up as they went along. Yeah, they, they, literally, they literally made it up and had no reference. Absolutely. You know, guys like, like you know, Dennis Muren and Richard Edlund and John Dykstra and stuff, they, they, these guys, 
they they were just this was all new territory for them. But I, I I remember it was the first film that I actually stayed and watched the credits for because you know when you're you know a teenage kid you, you know movies over boom you bolt out of the theater not now because right. we got the Marvel movies that make you stay because they've always got that hidden scene at the end but uh, but back in the day yeah everybody just left as soon as the credits started rolling but I stayed and I watched it because I wanted to find out who made this movie how did they do it and more importantly how can I do it too and then right. I, 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 I found you? I found every little bit of information that I could. You know, I, I drove my dad crazy having him, you know, uh, drive me all around you know, the Bay Area to any bookstore or comic book shop or library or book or any any place that I could find some kind of information about, you know, special effects or, you know, it wasn't even called visual effects at, at that point yet. Um, and uh, and I just started piecing things together and experimenting with my Super 8 camera. Uh, but then eventually uh, later on got uh, hired at LucasArts. Uh, and uh, and then work my way up. Wow, that's I love it. I love stories like this because it's like I think it's harder and harder to have that story. Um, you know, even though there's more, there's more info and there's more ways to learn. You know, the oh, I just drove around and got all the information and taught myself and then made it work. You know, yeah. you you don't hear that as often because everybody is expected to be a pro from right. from out the gate. Or you like hear, no, oh, I just went to, I went to YouTube and found a tutorial. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and I, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's awesome because people mm-hmm. can do many things now, right. but I feel like so many trades and things you're good at aren't cultivated anymore. You know, the, and I also think people don't, there. Yeah, I also think people don't, um, I don't want to say don't earn it, but, but they, they, you know, they're not, it, it, if it comes too easy, you don't get quite as good at it, I think. When you, you have to put sweat equity into it. There's there's a perfect correlation for, for the Star Wars films. Not that there's any that I dislike. I love Star Wars, you yeah. know, but that nothing quite feels like that first one because right. they were tr- they, they were up against a we don't know how to make a spaceship fly. Yeah. You're, and there's know? also there's something else that that's that, that happens now too, and I noticed this when we were working on the on the prequels, is you know, there used to be an old adage in 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 uh, in, in filmmaking, where if something went wrong on on the set, they you know they'd say you know they didn't have time to do anything about it. They'd say, "Oh, we'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post production." Yep. And that used to be a joke, and you'd find some kind of way to fudge it, and somehow in the editing or whatever, that's not a joke anymore. You can literally fix anything in post if you have the time and the talent and and the uh, the, the budget for it. And people it, have said to me, "Well, you can't fix an acting performance." Yes, you can. You can. you can, you can go back in. Let's say that, uh, let's say like uh, on on Phantom Menace. Let's say, you know, uh, Natalie Portman had her best take on take number five, but uh, uh, Liam Neeson had his best take on take number seven. Well, you can slice and dice and put the two together and com- and composite it, and you get the you know there's your your fixed acting performance. When yeah. we were working on that film, uh, Natalie Portman had a tendency to blink her eyes in these scenes. And it doesn't make you feel look like a, you know, a strong leader of this planet. She's supposed to be the queen of, of, of Naboo there. And so we painted out her eye blinks. So that I remember watching up. that. I remember watching that in a making of mm-hmm. and being like, wow. Jake, like... Lloyd, Jake Lloyd rolled his eyes a couple of times in, in scenes where we didn't want him rolling his eyes. So we made that go away. So you can literally fix anything if you've got the time and the money and the talent. So, uh, it, but that also, it can, 
I don't want to say it makes people makes filmmakers lazy, but it it can become a crutch. And I'm not accusing George of that, but but there are some filmmakers who really do just rely on fixing everything in post or or redoing it here and there, and and it becomes sloppy filmmaking or it becomes disconnected filmmaking when things don't have to count. You know, if if, if every you know because. You know, when I first started out making films and stuff, you had to make everything count. And I remember Ray Harryhausen uh, told me this, and I actually did meet Ray l- later on uh, several oh, times. Uh, wow! And Ray uh, Ray said that you know, when when he was making his stuff, it's like you had to make everything work and you had to make everything count because he's doing one frame at a time. You know, and if he if he made a mistake, he had to go back and start the whole shot over again. Yep. And so you 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 had some you know you had some skin in the game every time that you, that you did something, and now it's like you know every you know life is a big undo button, <laughs> and and you you can you can click it as many times as you need to as long as you still have time in in, in the schedule, <laughs> so and and I think that 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 films suffer because of that. Wow, that's you couldn't have, couldn't have spoke. It's great to hear someone that's had their hand on the pulse of that and done it have my exact same viewpoint on it because that that's what i always say you know it would, would never take any away anything away from george lucas i mean the guy no. episode one is is a pioneering film like that's just just like the first star wars is so mm-hmm. you can you can riff and roll your eyes on things that have come since it getting lazy because of what was pioneered there but mm-hmm. you can't look at that movie and go oh no that's not amazing what they pulled off with what they were right. doing but um, you're right, though it does. It does have a very different. The prequels have a very different feel than than the original uh, uh, trilogy, and uh, and th- there's a lot of reasons for that. But part of it is what you said. I mean, some some of it is also that you know George is a different man at that point. He's, yeah. you know, he's older. Oh, yeah. He's a father now. He's got you know he, he's and uh, you know he's he's going to have a different perspective on things. But uh, but you know you can say whatever you want as far as like story and characters and all that. But when it comes to the visuals, George knows his stuff, and there are so many. Oh, times yeah. We would sit in dailies, and I, I would sit there in dailies at ILM, and he's reviewing shots, and there'd be things that were just, you know, kicking the pants of, of, the, of, of the visual effects artists and the animators trying to get things to work, and George would just you know, instantly come up with a simple solution. Well, why don't you do this? And it's like, wow. And, and that's the kind of stuff you can't ever learn in film school. You have to be, you know, in, in the business, you know, working with people like George to be able to get that. Well, and I think, you know, not to say that there aren't directors anymore who do everything because especially mm-hmm. now w- the films are getting a lot more stripped down again, which I think is a good thing. I you get too. a lot of j- journeyman directors who do a lot like, right. You get the Mike Flanagan's of the world who are their own cinematographer and do their own editing. And you, you know, mm-hmm. you get all these guys and George has always struck me. People look at him with these glasses, these tinted glasses of, you know, he's just the, he's just the Star Wars guy, you know, he did things we didn't like and whatever, and we mm-hmm. got complained and, you know, whatever. Star Wars is his, number one. Right. And, and number two, the man got there by doing the work. He, sure he did. When, when they were figuring out those effects, he was there, just like you said. Mm-hmm. He wasn't some guy sitting in a, you know, mighty high, you know, tower going, do it this way, and I, I wanted to look at the, the guy worked his butt off. And, yeah. um, I got to say, you, you talk about that visual splendor. You know, I've I never got to see any of the original three Star Wars films in their original release, but I got to see all three special editions on the big screen. And yeah. there's nothing, there's no movie that feels like a Star Wars film on the big screen. I'd watch any of them 
even the yeah. ones that I like less. Mm-hmm. But nothing in any of them felt like seeing um, A New Hope on the big screen for the first time. As one of the, maybe a quarter of the way through, um, what was it called? The Force Awakens. There's mm-hmm. a static shot of a Star Destroyer that they made the 3D pull the Star Destroyer out over the crowd. There's nothing happening in the shot. Mm-hmm. It just very casually comes out over the audience. And I went, oh, my God. Like, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the 2015 equivalent of being there in 1977, seeing that Star mm-hmm. Destroyer come over yeah. the top of the screen for the first time. And I'm like, wow. And so I can still be impressed by nowadays digital effects because that was done to evoke that they wanted you yeah. to feel that way. Like it was there, like it had weight mm-hmm. to it. And I yeah. just thought that was so cool. And there's still, I mean, there, I'm not saying that there's not good uh, effects work being done today. There's some you just need to know how to work. use them. Well, I think also that, that it, for a long time there, um, it was looked at by studios and I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's the visual effects artists themselves or the visual effects houses, but it's, it's the, uh, the producers and, 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 and the studios. And sometimes, you know, the directors as well thinking that CG is going to save you. And it's not, it's just a tool. It's no different than, than, you know, having a wrench or, or, or a hammer or whatever. It's just a tool. It's what do you do with it? And it's no if, different and than it, editing or an actor or anything yeah, else. And use you it. Can, you can you can rely too heavily upon it, and and also keep you know people have to remember that you know audiences become savvy. You can't you can't underestimate audiences, and they become savvy after a while to where it's like you know what blew them away you know uh, five years ago. Now they look at it and go, "That's CG," you know, and 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 you know, so you've got they have to constantly kind of step up their game. Um, but there's also something because when I left Industrial Light and Magic, I uh, I. Uh, became the uh, head of the visual effects department at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. And I, I taught oh, there yeah. for two and a half years. And I would tell my students, don't always necessarily go for realism, but go for what I called feelism. It's more important that something feels right as a, as a, from, from an audience standpoint than you know looks absolutely perfect. Because you can make shots that look absolutely perfect, but there's no soul to it. There's no heart to it. There, you know, you, you right. have to... So you have to find that balance. And at the uh, end of the day, you're still making film, and film, film by yeah. design is not real. And that right. that's the thing. It, it it's a medium to tell a story, and you gotta you gotta evoke that feel. You're absolutely, absolutely. right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's nuts. And and um, I was gonna say, you, so you said your your first foray into working with with the Lucas um, film Lucas Arts folks was in the mm-hmm. video game world. Yes, I, I was hired at LucasArts in 1993. Um, awesome. <laughs> it was, uh, it's interesting because it's like, um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I actually thought I blew the, the, the job interview. Uh, really? I, 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 had been working, uh, I had been working in an accounting job because I needed money. <laughs> and, for, for, and I'm still doing acting here and there. But uh, uh, I'd been working in accounting for about four years because I paid the bills. Uh, uh, didn't enjoy it. Uh, they tell me I was good, but I don't. I don't recall. I, I did it all mechanically and forgot it all. <laughs> but uh, um, but I was constantly trying to find you know a way out of that and into the entertainment industry. And so I sent my resume everywhere, everywhere in Northern California. I didn't want to go to Los Angeles, but uh, everywhere in, in in Northern California, 
So every TV station, every you know uh, production company, game company, everywhere, I could got a lovely stack of rejection letters. But finally, I I, I saw, uh, and this is something that's gone away too. Is basically you know now we you know, we find all our our jobs online and we look for them somewhere online. But you know I found an ad in in the uh, you know San Francisco Examiner Chronicle uh, newspaper. Uh, look, it was it wasn't even called LucasArts at that point. They were still called Lucasfilm Games. And yep. they were they were looking for a customer support representative, basically a tech rep. And uh, I, I just I changed my tactics, and I because I, I had been reading. And this is some advice for anybody out there that's looking to get a job. If you if you have any kind, if you've got those those books that tell you how to you know you know write uh, you know you know re- resumes or cover letters that knock them dead, take those things and put them in the recycling bin. They are absolutely yep. worthless. Because all they do is teach you how to sound like everybody else. It's so funny you mentioned that. I, um, when I was in grad school and college, I uh, helped the um, undergrad engineering department. You know, come up with like a uh, here's a set of things for like when you're looking for a job. You know, and mm-hmm. I I came up with a resume format and did all this stuff. And anytime I get a anyone from my alma mater coming here. I always look and go, oh, God, it's my format. And they didn't even try. It might as well just be my resume that they wrote here. Because they took the same classes yeah. as me, right? And I'm like, oh, no, this is my fault. So I always make sure in interviews I ask them something that I can't find on there. Because I'm like, I have to know. I have to know because you're not going to get anywhere with this resume. I made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I would tell my students, I said, okay, your, your portfolio or your demo reel shows people what you, what you have done. You know what, or what you what you can do it shows you what you can do. Your resume shows you shows them what you have done, but your cover letter is their first introduction to you. It's yep. it's their first meeting with you, and so why do you want to sound like everybody else? So I changed my tactics when I when I applied for the LucasArts job, and I uh, I said that they had a list of five things they were looking for. So I took that list, I listed it in, in my cover letter, and I listed my five equivalents. And then I just honestly said, here's why I want to work for you. I mean, I didn't go brutally honest, like, I want to work for George Lucas. You know, it was yes. but, send uh, me to Skywalker Ranch. I want to hang out with him. I mean, yeah, I'll admit it. I was a fanboy. Of yeah, course. Yeah, I was a fanboy. Oh. You know, when, when I was, yeah, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I was Shamim. I was Shamim back then. That's who I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. That movie, Fanboys, that's a yes. perfect example of people want to go to Lucasfilm. Exactly. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! No, if, if you watch that movie and don't see yourself in it somewhere, you've you've never been a film geek. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, when I when I was a, when I was a, 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 a you know a teenager uh, or I guess yeah, probably about eighteen nineteen, my uh, my dad and I took a, a drive up to see if we could find Skywalker Ranch. Same how they did. What's that? Bridge. Yeah. So in the movie, they went across, I believe, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, and then went to, I believe, uh, Simone. No, no. Um, San, no. How how do you get to Lucas Skywalker Ranch? I think it's across the bridge, Golden Gate Bridge, and then you turn, uh, go forty five minutes, and then turn left on Skywalker Road, I believe, right? <laughs> It's it's Lucas Valley Road. You go up a Lucas. Yep. I'm not I'm not giving anything away. You can't get in there. The security is 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 you know. But that is that is definitely where it is. Into, 
you got a better chance of breaking into Fort Knox. You know, it's it's. Uh, but uh, my dad and I took a drive up, and we 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 tried to find the you know the, where it was, and uh, you know, there's no markings. It's not like there's a big marquee. You know, hey, welcome to Star Wars Land. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, but we found this gate, and we thought, oh, that must be it. So when I actually did get hired, and I finally went up to Skywalker Ranch, I realized that was the gate. Uh, and so I had to, uh, that that night. I got home and called my dad and said, "We were right. <laughs> so, we were there. We were there." But all we uh, needed to do was find William Shatner to let us in the back door. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I I I, I, have I, that I movie on Blockbuster exclusive, um, Chris. Actually, yep, that's great. That, yep. that, that was a good movie. Actually, good way of. Uh, I think that I think that was shot in. I, I don't know. I think it was. In the movie, I think it was Phantom Menace when it was I, back in '09. I think it was was it Phantom Menace? I think it was because yeah, well, how they did that because I think it was like a, a flashback of Phantom Menace, I believe, or something like that. I believe. Yeah, it was. the 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 idea of the movie was they were trying to be the first people in the world to watch the Phantom Menace. Right. That was the idea. I, but, I, I, Kelly was in it, and Ray Park was in it, and yep. I, I think that was the only. Oh, and and I think um, I think that that was the only two Star Wars cameos I think was in that movie, right? I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, but I I I, I changed my tactics, applied for the job, and uh, and uh, I got the interview, and I went in for the interview. And uh, I had still been reading some of these stupid books, and one of them talking about, well, well mirror the, the 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 body language of your interviewer. Oh, no. So I'm doing all that stuff, but I'm I'm doing I'm slaying it. I'm I'm doing great. The 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 lady that's interviewing me, she's laughing at all my jokes. Everything's going wonderful, and I think, oh, I'm nailing this interview. And then I find out she's a screener, so I have to go into the next room and interview for the person who's actually hiring in that. Oh no, Lucas Arts, and. She is just a stone cold slab. She is just not not a, n- none of my jokes are landing. I'm fidgeting now. I'm sweating. I'm nervous. And I figured I blew that audition. But I just you know I left there and I just and I thank God that I had a chance to even you know go for that interview. The next day, the very next day, the uh, the stone cold slab calls me up and she's now this bubbly, giggly person. Yep. She says, "When can you start?" So February first, nineteen ninety three, was my first day at LucasArts. And like That's I said, I was hired in customer support, and um, you know they. Uh, so basically, if you bought a game from LucasArts and you couldn't get it to run on your computer, and you were all angry, and you found that eight hundred number in the back of the manual, <laughs> and you called it, I was the guy that answered the phone. And to show you how Did small it? the company was at that time, when they hired me and they hired one other guy, they doubled the size of the department. Oh my lord! But then <laughs> soon after that, uh, LucasArts released. Uh, Rebel Assault, the first Rebel Assault game, and it, the company just, you know, just was inundated uh, as the sales that, were just crazy. Yeah, because people were buying, you know, I don't think people today even realize, but, but back in 95, people were actually buying computers just to play that game. I remember know? my friend having to upgrade his computer for Rebel Assault 2. I remember sure. that. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I worked on, I, I, I worked in customer support for, a, uh, about a year. Uh, and then, uh, I submitted my portfolio to the art director 
and and I worked really hard on that portfolio and everything. And she looked at it, and uh, her name's Colette Michaud, and uh, she looked at it, and she said, well, this is basically junior-level stuff. And it's like, oh, my, stick the knife in and twist it. But she looked at my resume, and back in the day, uh, when I was uh, uh, fresh out of high school, I had been working at a uh, cable access TV station. That's another thing that's gone the way of the dinosaur, is a cable yep. access TV station, which is, you know, in, in every, you know, city or municipality or whatever, they had to have uh, a public forum for people to be able to, you know, you know, within reason, air their their opinion and everything. Now we have YouTube, and we have the entirety of the Internet. Doesn't make, you know, but back in the day, that's what we had. And so uh, they would broadcast the city council meetings and some local shows and things like that. And so I was working at that station. Interestingly, also, Dana Carvey worked there. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so I, I worked with Dana for a few weeks as he was going out and I was coming in. But uh, I had this background in, in, in video from there, and uh, the art director at LucasArts, she took a look at my resume and she saw that and she said, well, you know, uh, I'm working on a game that's going to have full motion video in it. And at that time, there were only two guys in the company that knew anything about, about video. One was tied up on another project and the other one was on sabbatical. So I was brought into the art department at the very bottom of the ladder as art technician. So I wasn't even creating art, but I was taking the art that the artists did that was in millions of colors and I was reducing the palette down to 256 colors because that's how many colors Windows could handle at that time. Actually, it was oh, less than that. We had to, I had to drop it down less than that because you couldn't touch the 32 uh, Windows interface colors because everything would go wonky then if you did that. Beautiful so, full motion video. Huh. Yes. So the first game that I worked on at LucasArts was called Mortimer and the Riddles of the Medallion. Yep. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever heard of that. Did you hear of that? If you've heard of that, you're lying. I, I actually, no, no, no. I, re, I read it. That's, I have a okay. list in front of me. It, yes. it was on, it was on one of the things here and I'm just going down I'm like, right. yep. It's I was wondering if you game. were going to mention it. It's a, it's a wonderful game. It's, it's got some, uh, it's got some incredible voice talent in it. Even uh, Maurice LaMarche, who everybody knows as, as yep. the brain from Pinky and the Brain. Uh, he worked on it. But, um, when I started on that game, I was art technician, but by the time the game shipped, I was lead effects animator. And then after that, soon after that, I became a visual effects supervisor and senior artist there. I also did a voice in that game, too. I'm, I'm Scout the Dog in that, so... Uh, That's but, awesome. But as I was, you know, as I was there, you know, working there for six years, um, you know, a lot of things happened, and I got tapped to play Darth Vader, and I got tapped to play, you know, Luke, and... Uh, or I sort of, you know, ran in and volunteered to play Luke, the voice. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say, I, I wanted to transition into that, but I wanted to say this this list of games that I just saw from your IMDb on what you worked mm -hmm. at when you were at LucasArts is like, you, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I worked for LucasArts. Oh, what game did you work on? No, 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 no. no. He worked on the games. <laughs> from LucasArts. I worked right. on pretty much everything from like 1994 to when I left in in in, in uh, the end of 98. So I worked on 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 uh, uh, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max Hit the Road, yep. uh, Full Throttle, The Dig, uh, Rebel Assault 2, Dark Forces, uh, Masters yeah, of Terrascozzi, Shadows of the Empire. Grim so Fent Shadows Fent of the Fent Empire, I spent... I loved Shadows of the Empire. I think I was just like the perfect age. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it was like the N64 game. My brother had the N64 and I bought yeah. that game. And I'm like, I don't even know what this is. 
Like I'm just, it's Star Wars, and I was and there were in two love with the game. game. There was the N64 yep. version and the PC version. So yep, they were slightly different. Yeah, and Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. I Worked I was always that. like, man, this this should be a movie. I love that, that game. The last that was actually the last project that I worked on at LucasArts before I went to ILM. And, yeah. uh, and I worked on Curse of Monkey Island and a whole bunch yes. of other things. Too. But, this uh, which is one of my favorites and confuses me. That is one of my absolute favorite uh, games that I worked on. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, Indiana Jones, the Infernal Machine was the last thing that I worked on. And the very last thing I was doing at LucasArts there on that game was I was doing tiling cycling animations that were 16 pixels by 16 pixels. So I had to, I was doing lava textures and water textures, and it was just driving me nuts. And I went from that to Industrial Light and Magic doing 4K uh, matte paintings for the ground battle. Yes. So. Oh, oh man, some of the best looking stuff in the movie, man. <laughs> like there you go. But I, um, I've been very, I've been very, very blessed because it's like uh, when I got, I when I interviewed for the job at uh, at ILM. Uh, which was set up for me by a, a friend of mine who ha- I had worked with at, at LucasArts, who was then now selling software to them. Uh, uh, I was basically, I was like I said, I was basically like a compositor. I was, I was, I was a visual effects supervisor at LucasArts, and the opening was in the rotoscoping department. If people don't know what rotoscoping is, basically the rotoscoper's job is twofold. Um, if you need to isolate something in an image, you have to cre- you have to create a mat around it, and then there's two ways you can create a mat. One is uh, through uh, uh, sort of an automated thing. That would be your blue screen or your green screen. And the computer finds that area and uh, makes that go away and creates an alpha channel with that. And it just, it, that happens. It's a traveling mat. It just it, it happens automatically when you key out that color. The other way is to do it by hand, where if anybody's used Photoshop and you've used the, like the mask tool in there, uh, you know, imagine doing that every single frame. Following I have my hand up. I have my hand up like you can see me. I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Preach it, brother. Okay, so yeah, but um, yeah, and so you know, so you're tracing things, you know, every single frame, so that you can isolate it and preserve it. So let's say you've got a shot where uh, you've got a stick, you know, the CG character of Jar Jar Binks, you know, in front of Obi Wan Kenobi, but behind Qui Gon Jinn. Then, well, you've got to you know trace the outline of Qui Gon Jinn every single frame in order to you know sandwich that shot, uh, that that you know bit of uh, CG of of uh, of, of uh, you know, Jar Jar in there. And so that's part of the job. The other part of the job of the rotoscoper is to do digital paint, where you paint things out that don't need to be in the shot or shouldn't be in the shot, uh, or paint things in that were supposed to be there and aren't. So uh, that was the department I was interviewing for. But I went in for the interview, and they said, well, you know, you're basically, you're overqualified, but we'd like to offer you the job anyway. And I said, well, great. That's a wonderful thing to hear. <laughs> but then I was immediately drafted into matte painting. And I'd never done a matte painting in my entire life. <laughs> but the, somehow, somebody, a uh, 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 wonderful guy in the matte painting department there, Ron Brown, who was my inter- my uh, my mentor there, uh, he just you know taught me how to do matte paintings. And uh, I, I worked on the ground battle. Spent six months of my life landscaping the planet of Naboo. So, <laughs> so there, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I have a very blessed life to be able to do all these things. And that's one of the reasons why I, I teach, why I lecture, why I do conventions, and you know, why I do podcasts like this. Because you know, I, I, you know, it's not me saying, hey, look how cool I am. It's more like, you know, hey, did you see that show that was on TV last night? Or then it's like, oh, you didn't see it? Oh, let me tell you about it. Okay, that, that's, that's my life. It's like I, I was fortunate enough to be there and be a part of you know, what happened. And so now I, you know, I, I want to share that with people. 
And that's that's exactly why I do this. Is I think mm-hmm. that people, you know, this used to be you. You touched on it with um cable access TV. This yeah. used to be what cable access TV did. Exactly. You know, and, and or or like a like a local radio DJ, right? It's the same mm-hmm. thing, right? You you find a way to connect people and to and to have good conversation, right? I'm sure you've told these stories countless times, but you haven't told them to me and necessarily right. in this order. It's just exciting to share and bounce off people. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna say before transitioning, I, I need to know more about Darth Vader because oh, it's just it's so cool to think about. I mean, on top of all this other stuff, and we haven't even touched on the fact that you also played Darth Vader. Um, oh, yeah. by the I way, yeah, ask, I am Darth Vader. I wanted to ask Shamim, I wanted to ask Shamim in case do you yeah. do you have a favorite of the of the LucasArts games Ooh. that Sandra Nelson worked on? Uh yeah, or one I didn't work on. Um, the game I played, the, I, I don't know if you, yeah, I've got three games I w- played and still have. One of them is has a Blockbuster, um, what is it, um, property of Blockbuster, um, store number 91281, nice. <laughs> uh, Blockbuster in Glendale Avenue, I don't know where that, 602, I think, what, what, Eric, what is that, Chris? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, Glendale kind of has like a California-ish kind of sound to me, yeah. but I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah, so it's um, 3514 West Glendale Avenue, 602-841-8838. I don't know if that's... Um, that sounds uh, like a phone number, but... Uh, yeah, so <laughs> don't call it, folks. Don't call it. You know? Yeah, so it's... It's basically property of Blockbuster 1999, Blockbuster Inc. Store number nine one two eight one. I don't know if the, if you know that store number, but I don't. But there there well, is what, a director. What's the game? Number. What's the game? Yeah, uh, tell me the game. Okay, it's um Star Wars Jedi Power Battles. So oh yeah, yeah I, that that was done that was done after I left LucasArts. So yeah, and, and the and the other one is Master Kasai. I don't know the, the one. Frustrating part of that game is the lightsaber. It's just like it's not really a lightsaber. Just you hit it and then it just goes right through Darth Vader. I don't know who. Which which game that. is this? Is this uh, uh, Masters of Terror? Yeah. Oh yes. That you don't like the most because it was so hard to. So what did you do exactly in that game anyway? Well, you can't blame me for any of the gameplay stuff because I, I worked on the cutscenes. I, <laughs> I worked entirely on the cutscenes. In fact, most of the stuff that I did for LucasArts was all in the cutscenes. I used to joke that my entire career at LucasArts could be bypassed by hitting the escape key. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who who did the lightsaber thing? That's you know, it's I- a combination of a lot of different people. The programmers um, plus the artists. You know, the artists create the artwork. The programmers make it move around and do things. Um, it was yeah. an interesting project, and it was a, it was a big project for for us to work on well, at that I time. Think, I think that was during the special editions. I think, right? Um, yeah, it probably would have been around that time. Uh, I I do remember that there are some hidden Easter eggs in there. You can you can actually, if you know the right codes, you can play. The, with the characters uh, having big hands and big feet, or you can have them uh, looking like bobbleheads. So, ah! so yeah, so it was just kind of a debugging thing we had in there, and we left it in. So yeah, yeah so basically, I think um, Steve Stephen Constantino is featured in the game. I believe that's what he told me back in 2015. He said his Gamorrean guard is like the playable person to play as a guard. 
and that, oh, cool. Him. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know it was certainly stylized after him. I don't, I don't know if he was involved in it. I don't, yeah, I don't. So, yeah, so basically, it's funny enough. I'm looking at the um, voice talent. Hmm? Bob Bergen, Porky the Pig was Luke yes. Skywalker. Know that, and then there right. was um, um, Neo Ross as Han Solo, and then. Uh, does not say anything about the voice of Darth Vader in here. <laughs> no, I think you missed that part. I think whoever designed the credits missed. Um, I think that must have been James O. Jones. You think? Or they just? Hey, I don't know. Yeah, oh, we had other people that were doing Vader's voice too, but um, the uh, and also you know sometimes a lot of that stuff was they were partners like you know uh, sometimes the, like the manuals for something like that. Might have been, you know, written by the 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 the, the console the maker. Yeah, yeah, the production there because some of that stuff went offsite. You know, we didn't have control over it. And then there was like the tech support number. I don't know if if I called you then. If you were, you were. Oh, I, I was I was long gone from tech support. Oh, don't worry. It's still it's still read it still redirects to his cell phone. They never turn that off. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it says we are available to help you through Mondays to Thursdays, eight a.m. to five. 30 p.m. Yeah, don't call us on Friday. We're busy. So, <laughs> I don't. I don't know why that was like that. I mean, when I was in tech tech support, we I was Monday through Friday. I don't know what happened to, to the Fridays then. So, so who who was about with the Lucas Arts Company store? You at all, and Andrew? In the company you, store? Yeah. I, I used to visit there. I used to you know buy things occasionally. Yeah. yeah <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, so basically that game is very, very difficult to beat. I'm very Yes it is. I, I, I it's a hard I'm, game. I, it was intended to be. So I, I think I I think Chris, I think did your Blockbuster have this game for rent or no? Oh yeah, they had it for rental. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically and the other one is the episode one Phantom Menace game. That that was kind of hard as well, and those are just the three Was games. that the Pod Racer game? Uh it's the basically the one that um, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace: The Adventure Begins. Um, oh, okay. yes. right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah, yeah. So basically, oh yeah, and Andrew actually was. Oh yeah, speaking of which, it's almost Jurassic Park's birthday on June 11th, and that's going to be turning 28 this year. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm a, that's right. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So basically, Andrew met. I believe Dave Prowse at one point, and then. So, how many of the Star Wars actors have you actually met? Be that almost all of them. Well, I met Dave Prowse back when I was 15 years old. He came to the San Francisco Bay Area and did a signing at a, uh, a collectible shop called the Federation Trading Post in Berkeley. Wow. And, uh, that was 1978, and I can remember standing in line all day to meet him. And uh, I was I was just about the last person in line, and he was there all day signing autographs. And when his hand would get you know cramped up from signing everything, he'd get up and walk the line and say hi to people and have little kids sit in his hand and he'd just lift them up because he was just you know he's this huge you know you know you know weightlifting champion and everything and bodybuilder, and um, he was just I just an incredible guy. But I never crossed paths with him after that. I never never saw him again. Uh, yeah, I think, but. Uh, as far as who else did I did I do I know? I mean, I, I you know I, uh, I had, had met, met and worked with Carrie Fisher, uh, Mark Hamill. Actually, Mark came out did four. Hmm? 
Billy D. Williams. Um, um, Corey D. Uh, no, I never, I, I never met Billy D. Williams. Uh, uh, but, yeah. uh, but I. Anthony, and then, yeah. So actually, that, that actually you are the. So Kermit did Kermit Ella. Mm-hmm. That, that that was an interesting Vader talk we had on, on my birthday. I, right. I think I think you were there because weren't you at that moment, Chris? I don't think I was actually. No. But as far as far as who I ended up, as far as who I, uh, you know, worked with, like I said, I worked with, uh, you know, or met, you know, Mark and Carrie and uh, Peter Mayhew, of course, was a dear friend. Kenny Baker, Anthony Daniels, Jeremy Bullock, a lot of the, you know, the the newer people like uh, Ray Park and Daniel Logan and uh, Lloyd. Uh, yes, Jake Lloyd. I've known a quite a, a quite a few of them. I still know quite a no, few. Of them. Have you? So was that the first time you met Bryce on my party, or have you met him before? No, that was my first time. Wow. Yes. He, That's cool. He, yeah. He he was actually the Vader. I think he was the he was the promo Vader. You know, the the guy that they <laughs> sent out for promotional things. But yeah. So uh, it it was before. So that was like. Like a couple years, like he's like the original Vader promo, and then mm-hmm. you came in, and then right. only two Vados promos, you think? Or there no, more? there was another gentleman too. There was a guy named Tom Bewley who was doing <laughs> uh, personal appearances and things like that, and, and occasional commercials. And Tom had been working for Lucasfilm, and this is how I got the the part of of, of Vader. Um, he had been working for Lucasfilm, but he had left the company and moved back home to, I think it was Michigan. And so there was an opening and they were looking for somebody to play Vader for a charity event for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America at, uh-huh. uh, at the Marin County Fair in Marin County. The night before the fair opened, they wanted to have a meet and greet so that kids could have their photo taken with Darth Vader and two stormtroopers. And this is long before the 501st were doing all their wonderful charity work and everything like that. They, they weren't even in existence at the time I yet. Th- I think that was 1990. They started in 97 after, I believe, Alvin told me. Mm-hmm. March of 97, I believe. That's when Alvin yes. started. And this was, uh, this was, uh, this was uh, uh, June of, 19, of 1994. So I'm sitting at my desk at LucasArts, doing my job, minding my own business. <laughs> and my phone rings. And it's the head mm-hmm. of public relations, who was a woman who was upstairs from me. And she starts off the conversation not by saying hello, but by saying, Hey, Andrew, how tall are you? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what kind of question is that? And I, but I need I your said, measurements. I, I said to her, I said, well, I'm six foot five. Why do you ask? Well, she was like five foot one. I figured she just wanted me to come upstairs and get something down off a shelf. <laughs> so uh, then she says, do you have any acting experience? <laughs> and you know, you know when you're talking to somebody on the phone, but you, you can't see them but you can almost hear a smile in their voice. That was what yeah. I was hearing. So I'm thinking, there's something much more to this. And I let her know that, yeah, at that point, I'd had like 20, 21, 22 years of acting experience. And I, and I let her know that. And then she hits me with this. She says, can you breathe for me? <laughs> and so you put the pieces together. You know, The wheels are spinning in your head, and you put the pieces together, and, and you think, okay, um, you know, how tall are you? Do you have any acting experience? It's a Lucas company. Can you breathe for me? And I, I put it all together, and I leaned into my phone, and I went yeah. like that. And I said, "Okay, so so what's going on?" And she told me about the charity event, and and I I just thought, my gosh, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's never going to happen again. I just thank God I had a chance to do it. 
So, but, then, but then they called so, me back for something else and something else, and I ended up playing Vader 70 times over 12 years. So I was about which, to say, your own IMDb credit, which I think, bio, which you wrote, says you've managed to spend more time in the official Vader costume than any other actor. That's what they tell me, and I'm not going to argue with Lucasfilm over that. Wow. So, it's yeah, quite so, possibly true. So, Andrew, on the Vader thing, um, so who had, so who did your, like, appearance schedule? Was, it, was that the lady? Who did like Andrew? You need to go here, do a sign. Oh no, not her. No, that was she was just coordinating that one thing. Uh, no, that was always handled by by people at Skywalker Ranch. Uh, originally, uh-huh. my 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 original Vader Wrangler, if you want to call it that, was uh, Don Don Bees from the Island Model Shop. Um, a lot of people know Don, and of course he was yep. in the, the special edition as as Boba Fett. But uh, Don, and I've known Don for ages now. Uh, but he he was Alex. also the archivist at the ranch. And so, oh. uh, and, and all, all of that stuff, you know, any kind of costumed appearances, you know, that came out of the archives because that, that's where the costumes were. And uh, so I had to so meet with which, Don, so try on the costume. Did, so which costume did, did, did you wear, Andrew? Um, same one Bryce wore? Or I wore the ones that Dave Prouse wore, yes. I, I, they, all wow. said, they all said Dave Prouse in them. Um, and in fact, <laughs> one, one time I actually had on the entire original trilogy because I had pieces from New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. But I started off doing just live appearances and things like that and then, uh, started do, then did some commercials and then eventually got tapped to be in the special edition. And then of course... And I was going to say... And of course, before that, we did Rebel Assault too. So yes, okay, but, but the special edition now. So this is cool because you talk about you know seeing a New Hope on screen as a as a you know teenager, right? Like yeah. pioneering you know film. Now you get to remake it or add to it in my favorite movies. Like <laughs> like, and, and to me like. Because, you know, you never know when you talk to someone, you, you know, I wouldn't have known that from reading your bio or anything that like, you know, the guy that ends up getting to play Darth Vader. No, not like this is like this was the stepping off point for like where my life trajectory went. Why it was sitting in yeah. that theater watching I mean, there that are a lot movie. Of pe- there are a lot of people that'll say things like, oh, Star Wars changed my life. It literally changed my life. Right. It so- my life. From the moment that I saw the film to then later on when I started working for, for Lucas to when I stepped into that costume, every single time it changed my life you know, around. So and, nice. and in fact, you know, here's a, here's a funny little anecdote is that, you know, in the summer of 77, uh, towards the end of summer, when things sort of died down a little bit, um, my friends and I, we would get to the theater, we, you know, we, we'd see it over and over and over again, you know, and we would get to the theater and uh, let's say the movie started at one o'clock in the afternoon, we'd get there at like 10 a.m., just so we could say we were first in line, because you know we had we 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 had no lives, we had no girlfriends, we had nothing. So, so um, I remember standing around, killing time there, waiting in line, and I made this wild prediction. I said to my friends, you know, one of these days I'm going to play Darth Vader, and they said, ah. shut up. They said, shut up. What are you talking about? It says, well, they'll, they'll do something else with the you know, and they won't they won't use the original actors, and and they said, oh, you're crazy. And I said, well, look, I'm taller than either of you. So, so, uh, and I also made the I, I also made the wild prediction that one day I was going to play Darth Vader. It was another day we were standing in line for the movie. I mean, that I was going to play Luke Skywalker. That is, and uh, and of course, both came true. Now, now, tell me this: so you get brought into work on 
the special edition of Star Wars. Now, the the Vader scenes, obviously. Um, did they did they film the stuff? Because again, this is another pioneering thing, right? Like I remember right. watching TV specials about how he was going to do this, how how they were right. going to fix how they were going to fix some of the old effects and get rid of the bad blue screen mats that you could see right. through and all this stuff and like add windows or pull the frame back. So the people walking in the hall were walking and it just, yeah. it blew me away. So you get to be involved in, in this pioneering. What, what was that like? Like, was it just you and Darth Vader on a blue screen or was it, it you know, it was, was it? it was me on a blue screen at ILM uh, on a soundstage. I almost didn't get to do it because uh, the, the, the day we were scheduled to, to do the shoot, in, this was in, in uh, 96, in June of 96, was the day that my daughter was due to be born. It was my wife and I, our oh, first no. child. Yeah. So, uh, and so I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I'm not going to miss my, my child's birth, but I really want to do this. So Don kept calling me up and saying, so, baby born yet? And I said, no, not yet, Don. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> you know, praise God, my, my daughter was born two weeks early. And so I got to do it. And but we. I mean, you could, we, you could have been walking into the delivery room as Vader. That would have been a great first <laughs> visual of their dad. Yes. <laughs> but uh, the the uh, and thankfully my wife wasn't having twins. But it was, <laughs> that, but although that would have been appropriate. But oh uh, goodness! All, all this all the stuff for the special edition was shot. Our uh, uh, all the, all the studio stuff was shot at ILM on the blue screen stages there. So everything, and, and even even Hollyweed's Weed's uh, Wampa scene was shot there too. So now, were you were you involved with your special effects background? Were you involved in any level um, outside of just being Vader? No, not for the special edition. No, just I was just Vader, and uh, so I was brought in for that. And 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 the scenes, you know, it, the stuff that we shot got peppered throughout all the uh, you know the whole you know the three films. But the easiest spot to find me, I always point people to this, is the scene in Empire Strikes Back where. Uh, Vader leaves Cloud City and goes back to his shuttle, which was never there before. Yes. And, yeah. And uh, which was kind of difficult to shoot because you're on top of a big platform about maybe six, seven feet off the ground. A very long platform, but very narrow uh, for like the, the one shot where you've got that, that big, beautiful matte painting and that Ralph McQuarrie did. And then, and then uh, you know, you have Vader and the stormtroopers and the Imperial officers walking across this platform. Yeah. And the thing is, it was a big, tall platform, but it, and very long, but it was not very wide. And you don't have very good visibility in that Vader costume. You can basically see what's directly in front of you if you look out through the lenses of the mask, or you can see your feet if you look through the sort of the bottom part of the breath screen there. And that's it. And so we had to rehearse it and kind of do sort of muscle memory. To, it's like, well, how many steps can we take until we get to the end of this platform? this big long runway or, you know, and you don't want to go too far to the left or too far to the right. So we practiced it quite a few times. That particular shot, we practiced quite a few times uh, without the heads on, you know, me and the, and the, and the stormtroopers, you know, buckets off as we call it. Uh, and um, then we did it, you know, we, we actually shot it a few times. And then finally at the last take, they said, cut, don't move. And I was about, you know, half a step away from, from the end of the, the platform. So if I had taken one more step, I would have hit the deck. Uh, I don't know. If they were, I don't know if they were worried about me or the very expensive original costume. I'd like to think it was me. <laughs> yeah. Don't damage oh. the merchandise. Yeah. yeah, and then of course Rebel Assault Two. We had a whole half hour of full motion video in that, that which, which was the first live action Star Wars footage that had been shot since the two Ewok TV movies. Whoa. Yeah. 
And that was all blue screen. Every bit of that was Of blue course, screen. of course, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, going back to, because um, you just you reminded me about the ILM stuff. You know, I wanted to talk, th- that list of, you know, the main list of movies you worked on is incredibly impressive. And it's it's funny, I always love seeing Galaxy Quest show up on people's lists because yes. I feel like even though that movie is one of my favorite films, like mm-hmm. easily, yeah. so many people haven't seen it. I know. I keep running into people who haven't seen it, but I also run into a lot of people who just go, oh, I love that movie. It, I, I, I will tell you right now, it is my flick. absolute favorite movie of all time. You know, if, wow. if, if the last known copy of Citizen Kane and the last known copy of Galaxy Quest are in a burning building and I only have a chance to save one, well, bye-bye, Rosebud. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going in for Galaxy Quest. So, my, my story of Galaxy Quest, it, it, it's such a cool one because I remember seeing ads for it, me and my brother going, oh, that movie's going to be a riot. Like, we got to see it. And, like, it didn't, it wasn't even, like, really ad advertised that much. Like, no, so it we, we went we went to our local showcase cinemas, which at the time they had started building the new version of it, which sadly after COVID is, is now completely closed and isn't coming back, which is oh, awful. But, but um, uh, they had the old building and the new building still there. It had kind of like a like a weird tunnel connecting them uh-huh. with movie posters along. And so the movies that they didn't think needed the bigger theaters, they put in the old building. So we bought tickets to Galaxy Quest and had to walk through like this, you know, reject tunnel to like go and watch it. And and I love that the island being, of misfit movies. Yeah, and I and I love that being my last memory of like the last film I saw on those old screens. That's you know, cool. It's like, cause it, it was just the thing I love about galaxy quest is, you know, we talked about that use of digital effects in a way that had weight to them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there aren't a lot of like, galaxy quest was in like this weird transition where a lot of its effects were puppet work, but a lot of its effects were CGI and costumes in this mix. Yes. And they seem to make really good decisions on when to use which ones. Yes. And that movie looks better than a lot of movies that have been made like 10 years since it. It still looks good. And it's right? one of those films that I pull out every so often and, and watch. In fact, not too long ago, a bunch of us that had worked on the film from ILM, we got together for a little Zoom chat and and watched the movie and chatted all through it. You know, a little thing we did, you know, during COVID. And it was it was it was so much fun to do that and 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 uh, and make comments about all the different shots and reminisce. You know, the 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 interesting thing is when you work in visual effects uh you can work for six months to a year or more on a project and you never know if the movie you're working on is any good because what a lot right. of people don't realize is that you, when you're working as a visual effects artist, you see everything out of sequence, without sound, you see your portion of the movie and that's about it, unless you're the visual effects supervisor or, or you know, and you're on set maybe. But in the case of Galaxy Quest, the studio sent us a rough cut of the movie and that just simply never Ooh. happens. So we all crammed into, all the whole team, the Galaxy Quest team, all crammed into one of the screening rooms at ILM. We sat down to watch this rough cut, and we were like, oh my gosh, this movie's great. Even in rough cut form, it was just fantastic. And we were just all just jazzed to get it done. Uh, you know, the film has so much heart, and it's so much fun. Uh, and if anybody has not seen this, who is listening to this right now, if you've not seen the documentary about the making of, oh, of Galaxy Quest. Oh, it's wonderful. It's called Never Surrender, and it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, never give up, never surrender. Exactly, <laughs> but uh, I, it's, it's, I, I had, it was one of the things I'm most proud of having worked on, and uh, and and you're right, you know, it's it's a wonderful blend of of CG, 
plus traditional, you know, uh, practical effects. Uh, Stan Winston Studios did a lot of stuff on that, uh, making the, you know, the, the, the alien creatures in the, in the Thermians. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm very proud of that one. It is. The, the effects are great. And the movie itself, you know, I joke with people, but they say, you know, what are your top five favorite Star Wars or Star Trek films? And I always, yes. in a tongue-in-cheek way, put Galaxy Quest in there. I go, but I mean it. Like that, everybody the means movie, it when they put it on that list. The, yes, the movie the movie is a love letter to to fandom. It, it, yes. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that you can love something, and mm-hmm. kind of poke a little bit of fun at it, yes. and also accept the fact that it. When you see the look on the actors' faces, I, the thing I loved about that film is you, the the little boy that used to fly the ship, mm-hmm. reaching his controls and realizing they made them based on his movements. That look yes. of just like childish, like oh my god, I actually get to do this. Yeah, like that's what fandom is. When you grow up right. to be our age and you look back on this stuff, that's what gets you excited about it. Is that reminder of like. The, the unknown, the, the, mm-hmm. it's, it, and, and, and that's why, you know, cause some people that try to take things a little too cynically, you know, yes. would go, Oh, but that movie's making fun of something you like. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's no, celebrating it's not. it. It's celebrating. It's celebrating Absolutely it. celebrating it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't clearly, know. Sorry. Clearly, I just, somebody, anybody who says that hasn't seen the whole movie. So. Or is, or is a major cynic that that's, yes. uh, and that's, yeah. the, and the yeah. other that's thing, the, being from the Boston area, I have to say, dude, you worked on the perfect storm guy. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Probably, you know, it, that just, that's another thing that people don't know about visual effects is that, yeah, sometimes it's glitz and glamour and it's wonderful and, you know, you're making movie magic, but also sometimes it is just hours and hours or days or weeks of just absolute tedium. And Perfect Storm for me was that. Because well, let me was, tell you, living through the production of that film was absolute tedium around here. I so bet I- it was. <laughs> Well, the thing is, we had you know they they shot all this stuff, but you don't want to shoot it when there's an actual storm going on, because you want to be able to control things. And so we had to go through at ILM and replace a lot of, of the skies in the shots, you know. So that meant that uh, uh, guys like me had to trace the outline of all that rigging on board the ships and everybody's head. I spent. Oh my gosh! You know, uh, you know, I'm 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 tracing the outline of Marky Mark's head for for twelve hundred frames. That, oh, that poor you sleep. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it's 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 still the the thing is also as a as a visual effects artist, you know, your main job is to make sure that nobody realizes you did anything at all, yes. no matter how fantastical it is. And and Perfect Storm is is a perfect example of that because. Actually, if you look at the credits, it's one of the you know the few films where I didn't actually get a screen credit because uh, they didn't want to emphasize how much of it was special effects. So, right, right. Oh, especially for the folks around here, they want yeah, you to basically. It's basically that it's, it's, exact point is where George Clooney fell into the water. No, no, he yeah. didn't. No, like, he stop. Didn't. <laughs> no. He made that. But, up. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and you you talk about people not recognizing the CG and it's something that I, I, you know, what I tell people, it's like a magic trick, right? Mm-hmm. You always know that it's there, yes, but you don't want to know that it's there. Like you, you want to know enough, like, like I'm in a film, which means I'm safe. That's so right. I can, I can taken away to this, but you always want to know that there's a little bit of trickery there. But I, I always love the years of the awards shows when they remember that the mm-hmm. best way to sell a visual effect is to show behind the scenes stuff. 
And I, right. I remember the year, um, and, and I've heard this from people um, in, you know, in the industry that say of, of directors out there that understand the use of special effects the most, one of the current working ones is Clint Eastwood. And I go, Clint Eastwood? Like, what movies does he make that use digital effects? And then you look and it's like, oh my God, everybody in that scene was on green screen. Yeah. I never would have known. Like, well, you know, and they, yeah. Now, nowadays, every film is an effects film. I, right. I, you, know, you, 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 you don't think about it, but, you know, something uh, uh, like even, even some, some, you know, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you can go back to that. There's yep. effects in that movie. You know, you, you don't think of it. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and then you look at some films, um, even, you know, you look at a historical drama, like, say, like The King's Speech, it's got 400 effects shots in it. Yes. You know, because you're recreating that time period. But because, we, you know, artists have done it so well, you don't notice it. Or at least you have the suspension of disbelief, so that you don't, because you, know, you don't want to notice it, um, as you were saying. So yeah, it's 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 it's. I agree with you. It's 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 one of the interesting things about visual effects that uh, you know you 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 know it's there, but you don't want to know it's there. Well, because if, if you because if you do, if a guy like me does his job right, nobody notices anything. If right. I do my job wrong, everybody notices, and that's, that's oh yeah. <laughs> that that's a whole nother issue for an entire yes. other conversation. Oh God. Um, but I was going to say, um, I am I'm, I'm nearing the end of, of my ability to pretend that I'm at work. Um, yes. but I was going to say, um, but before then I wanted to, you know, uh, give you a chance, shout outs, anything we missed that you wanted to make people know about, uh, sure. directions, yeah. you wanted to point people, anything, the, the, the floor is yours. And also Shamim, I want to make sure I, I give you a chance yeah. to, after him to say anything we may have missed for you too, because I really appreciate you being here and happy birthday oh, again. Thanks. Yeah, happy birthday, buddy. Thanks. But um, Thanks. You know, if if people want to find me, they can find me. Uh, you can go to candrenelson.com. That's my official website, and uh, you can uh, find out what's going on with me there. You can also go to the events page and find out where I'm going to be appearing or you know doing convention appearances. I do a lot of convention appearances, uh, you know, helping raise money for the Starlight Children's Foundation, um, and uh, or where I'm going to be lecturing or things like that. Projects that I'm working on. Speaking of projects that I'm working on, I'm working on a really interesting project right now that is actually an audio drama called Hero Heroes of Extinction. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a seven episode, uh, audio drama about superheroes and supervillains and somebody is, uh, causing their disappearance, both the heroes and the villains, uh, with the rise of these strange mutants that are coming around. And, mm -hmm. uh, the main character is having to deal with this while dealing with his, uh, as a superhero, dealing with his own age as he's now turning 50 and things aren't, his powers aren't working like they used to, and having to train his new protege, his new person to take over for him, while also solving this mystery and solving the mysterious death of his girlfriend, who may have been connected with this whole mystery. So we've got a wonderful cast of, of, of characters. I'm actually uh, the uh, co-producer, the, the, the creator of the show, Jerry Cornell from Theme Parkology, is, is, the, is the one who created it. Uh, Samantha Album Album is the uh, the writer. She's written this fantastic set of scripts for us. Uh, so I'm 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 co-producing it. I'm directing it. I'm also the narrator. Um, we've got a, a great cast of, of of voice actors. Even some some very interesting ones, including uh, uh, Mary Gibbs, 
who was the voice of Boo from Monsters Incorporated when she was three years oh. old, and now she is playing the uh, the the young woman who is the protege that the main character is is uh, is going to be uh, training. Uh, we've got this. Uh, it's just a wonderful project. So people can find out about that if they go to themeparkology.com. Or they can go to my website, candrenelson.com, or, or soon they'll be able to go to heroesofextinction.com. So wow. we've got two episodes finished right now, and we're working on the third one. And then when we got it all you know, together, it'll be released, and uh, it'll be available on all the regular channels for that sort of thing. Um, or if people want to find out what I'm doing when I'm not messing around with visual effects or voiceover or acting or anything like that, uh, you can go You're see sick. me uh, make, make a fool of myself with my fish tanks on YouTube. I have a YouTube <laughs> yeah. channel called Aquatasy. A-Q-U-A-T-A-S-Y. Uh, it is a fresh look at the hobby of fish keeping from a humorous and cinematic perspective. Um, so I take my sensibilities as an, as an artist and a performer and I apply that to my fish tanks. Uh, uh, I have sassy back-talking fish. Oh, they're awful. <laughs> you don't have to live with them. I do. <laughs> and... Uh, so some of the videos are teaching videos, and uh, and some of them are just straight up humorous videos. But it's all all good fun, and so people can go to Aquatasy on YouTube, A Q U A T A S Y. Oh, I can't uh, wait! Yeah, or if you want to find me on social media, I'm C Andrew Nelson on Facebook. I'm C Andrew Nelson on Instagram, and I'm C underscore Andrew underscore Nelson on Twitter because some guy in Australia has it without the underscores, and he's not using it. And he won't give it up. So <laughs> there you go. So, 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 yeah, Chris, so basically Andrew on the theme parkology, he's actually featured in a, a, um, a, in the attraction series, which I have, which is the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, yeah. Oh, great. It's a whole documentary on, yeah, thank you, Shamim, for mentioning that. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole documentary about the history and the making of the Pirates of the Caribbean attractions at Disney theme parks. I was the oh. editor for that project. I did all the editing and I did the uh, animated titles for it. It's a wonderful documentary. I'm not just saying that because I, I worked on it. Basically, um, so Jerry um, would be a next good guest for you, Chris, because Jerry, I, 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 I met Jerry at, I believe, MouseCon mm -hmm. 1, 2, and then I think almost all oh, Steve. Oh, yeah, MouseCon is another good one, Andrew. Basically, yes. that's the other con you go to. It's all about Disney-related stuff. Yes. That, that's our, I believe, that was our last official in-person meeting, which was the third, Yes, it was. Uh, the, I think it was the fifth annual. Yeah. Yes. So, wow. Yeah, that is a very good show, Chris, for you, because um, Andrew's there. Um, la, 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 um, that, that was actually in 2019, actually. That was right. you know, a while. Um, and at this, at the next Mouse Con, which will be in in Concord in November, I think it's November fifth and uh, through the seventh. No, when is it? Uh, but it's somewhere around around. Uh, uh, actually, no, I think it's yeah, November. It's, it's like first November weekend in November, third. I believe. Um, it's Sunday. yeah. So uh, yeah, it'll be in Concord, California, and we will actually be doing a Heroes of Extinction panel on that. So. Oh, great! Because a, so, a lot yeah, of the cast so, members have connections with with Disney, so. Yeah, so basically, um, in 2019, the guests were Mary Gibbs, uh, mm -hmm. Linda Larkin, uh, Jasmine, um, um, Jerry, um, Terry uh, Harden-Jackson um, was there. Um, Wonderful lady. Yeah, she, um, she did all the, she was an I, I, uh, she, uh, 
Imagineer. Uh, yeah, she um, yes. was Walt oh, Disney Imagineering, also, worked with the Muppets, and... Yeah, she also um, did the um, intro, the, the, actually the follow-up to jo- Joshua's book, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, right, Jackson. right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Joshua and Andrew were, um, actually, yeah, met both of them at the first one and the last three ones. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, Jerry will be a next good guest we're going to arrange for Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Terry, too. Terry has a, she makes very nice sculptures. I think you saw them, right, Andrew? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so basically, yeah, so if, if Chris, Chris wants to meet you in, in person, which, when, when are you going to be in Boston next? That would be great. I would love to do a show out in Boston. I, I actually was in Boston once, uh, and that was back in the uh, in the 1990s. Uh, I was appearing on uh, Evening at Pops with John Williams and the Boston Pops Orchestra. Yes, yes. And, uh, oh. and uh, John was just an incredible person to meet. And I was there with uh, actually my favorite jazz musician of all time, Grover Washington Jr. So I had a chance to meet with him, and and we we got on just just fantastically, and and uh, oh, yeah. that in yeah. itself itself is is like oh, like a whole chapter of a book. It was an incredible experience out there. But I would love so, to come back out to Boston. So we finally finished the big dig. Oh, the, good. The roads, the roads still don't make sense, but they finally finished it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember. I remember when that exhibit at the Museum of Science went in the big dig. It's going to be done in five years. It's going to be the best thing. And I remember in like yeah. 2011 going, "Are they done with this yet?" <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. It was a cluster. Yeah. It was a big yeah. cluster. They, well, I, but I, hey, I would love to come out to Boston. I'd love to do a convention appearance out there. If there's anybody who's listening, who's a convention uh, organizer, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes, and it's it's not at all self serving. I don't just want you bringing him out here so me and him can talk. Not no, at all. No, no. Actually, no. no, it would be it would be a pleasure. It would be a pleasure. Um, yeah. and I I've only recently in the last like five years or so got into going to cons, so I can't wait. I yeah. I, I I actually did a panel at PAX East, um, oh, nice. the day before the pandemic shut everything down. Wow. Right. <laughs> like we were all there, like making like you know half hearted jokes, you mm-hmm. know because. Because at the time it's like okay, what what's happening? And then like the next day it's like oh, the next day we're all sheltered in our homes. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So um, Chris, actually, um, oh uh, Andrew, if you've never been to the last blockbuster, if you dare to go and visit Ben, um, I I know the I know Sandy. She's very actually Sandy's been on this show how many times, Chris? About five times. Yeah, Sandy's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so I I bet you your movie is in Sandy's store right now, right, Chris? Oh, which one? Any of them? The Galaxy Quest, <laughs> probably, probably, probably. Yeah, all there, Galaxy Quest. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she, um, yeah. So it, anytime you want to come to Portland, my house is your house. You can come and you you and I can drive down and go see Ben if you want. Okay. I would. I, I man, wouldn't it be great? I can't wait to get out there. But yeah, so, um, so. Yeah, so I think we might need a part two in, in the future for Andrew to tell his fish story. I I would love to come back. I've got lots yeah. of the stories. I've, yeah, I've no. got. A, I actually have a connection with uh, you know Vader and Hollywood video, which uh, we can talk about uh, next yes. time. Let, yeah, let's let's just schedule that. You know, I would sure. love I would love to talk to you for hours on end. You're you're a blast, and I I thank you so much for your time. And I was going to ask you, as a voice, as a you you got to be Luke Skywalker as voice, right? That's right. So. 
some voice actors, you know, try to, you know, you it's it's impossible, it's right? To be like I do Mark, I do Mark Hamill's voice. No, but do you have? Is it just see Andrew Nelson? But or or do you have a, a, a voice for Luke Skywalker? Could you? Oh, could I you have like, a voice for Luke Skywalker. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't even attempt to try to do it now. My voice is kind of gruff because I. Oh I, yeah, there I, you I, go. I was, I was speaking all day yesterday at an event. So, so That's but, funny. Uh, I just, I guess I, 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 no, I, I, I did my very best to emulate Mark's voice, uh, you know, as, as Luke. Um, and again, you don't, you, when you do a character like that, you don't try to do an impression. You try right. to play their character. Like a very good friend of mine is Julie Dolan, who is the current voice of, of Princess Leia. And I told, I said to Julie, I said, you know, you don't do a Carrie Fisher impression. You play Carrie's Princess Leia. And and that's, and that's like the best the best uh, compliment you can give a voice actor who's taking over a role from someone else is like that, that she's done everything she could to try to bring that character to life and 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 to to uh, you know to to do it honor you know and everything so um, that's what I tried to do when I was asked to do Luke and, uh, awesome. and next time we can we can talk about how I actually got to do that. Yeah, again, like I said, the, that's what I like about this show, is it just it can go on and on and on in any direction. Um, Until you have to go back to work. Yeah, unfortunately. So, um, but, yes, but I really... Yes, Chris, I think we can... So let's see. Um, Andrew's birthday's coming up June 22nd. Maybe we can do it like a birthday special or something like that for Andrew's nice. birthday. Nice. Is, we'll see if so I'm I free. Th- I think that's yeah. on a Monday, right, Andrew? Or I have no Monday? idea. <laughs> Shamim is the keeper of everyone's schedule. I love He's it. He's a keeper of all world knowledge. He knows everything. I, I love. He, he does. He knows it. But but I I actually I, Andrew, it's on a Tuesday your birthday this year. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk later about it. I was going to say, I really, I really do. Unfortunately, have to go. But yeah. I w- I wanted to thank thank you, Shamim, for for yeah. connecting me with with Sandra Nelson and thank you. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This is, I, I love the conversation. This was great. This was fantastic. Actually, um, let me think before we go. Oh, let me think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, Andrew, did you accept Chris's friendship request yet since my birthday last, uh, I think so. I'll double check. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, cool. thanks both. Th- thank everyone for listening, for making it a Talkbuster night or day or whenever you're listening. And we'll talk to you all soon. The May force the is strong with Talkbuster. Yes, the force is strong. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. I'll talk to you both soon, okay? Bye-bye. Thanks, all right, bye-bye. bye-bye.